Welcome to Cut As You Go, a Patreon-exclusive spinoff of the Incinerator podcast where we, unfortunately, tackle the oeuvres of beloved auteurs and decimate their cinematic legacies. Each week, we cut a new title from their filmography and toss it into the Incinerator and do so until only one remains, the filmmaker, Roland Emmerich. And last week, we were joined by Graham Skipper for our second cut, Roland Emmerich's gumbo of Matthew Broderick, The Wallflowers, and All-American Patriotism, Godzilla. We put the call out to you, our kick-ass supporters here on Patreon, and we let you guide what the next cut would be, and that's why we're here, to toss another Emmerich classic into the incinerator forever destroyed for future generations, never again to see the light of day. This week's casualty? Well, before the moon started making its way towards Earth, it was home to Liam Hensworth in Independence Day Resurgence. And joining us this week to eulogize the sequel to the 1996 blockbuster, he's a writer for Entertainment Weekly and was recently featured on episode two of the Main Feed podcast, Darren Franish. Darren, welcome back into the mini incinerator. Billy Ray, I'm honored to be here. Honored to be here to talk about the best Independence Day movie, quite frankly. I, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Like, I, I, I'm wow. sad. I'm, I'm very sad that Resurgence did not make it further along before being thrown in, in the incinerator uh, because uh, th there's a lot of delightful things happening in this, uh, in, in this uh, let's say, flawed movie. <laughs> um, I think that's a fair way to say it. Um, you immediately sort of came to the defense for Independence Day resurgence uh, early on on the Patreon. And I'm curious because... You know, I have a soft spot, a nostalgic soft spot for that original Independence Day, because when I first saw that Independence Day, I was with a friend visiting their family in Texas, and we were actually in the movie theater that you see the tanks rolling by in Houston when, when we watched the movie. So we were in the movie watching that movie as tanks rolled by the theater we were in. And so I have very fond memories of that. I remember seeing Independence Day resurgence in theaters and being like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> I didn't watch it again until like two weeks ago. And I watched it again and I was like, this shit slaps. Here's the thing about Independence Day resurgence. Um, and I should say upfront, I, I saw the original movie in theaters, of course, when I was younger and very much enjoyed it at the time. I am not someone with a lot of nostalgia for it. So the years of kind of hearing that they were making a new one were years that I was very suspicious. Everything about it seemed very cut rate. Roland Emmerich was not at a great point in his career coming back to it. The fact that Will Smith was saying no to it at a time when it didn't feel to me like even Will Smith's barometer of quality was all that great was like whoa okay like if he's if he's saying no this one really must be in trouble and I, Billy Ray I think for me it comes down to the fact and this will come up as we go deeper into uh, Roland Emmerich's filmography with him past a certain point I think there's only two kinds of movies there's movies that are disappointingly competent where you're like okay like yeah, you know, it's stupid and silly, but you know, this this seems like it's kind of running on train tracks and is indeed a movie. Then there's some films that are barely coherent. And Independence Day Resurgence has a lot of scenes that are very green screeny and just seem kind of lazily put together. But I really like almost every character in this movie. Like everyone is just a little quirkier than they have to be. There's some romances that are very surprising. 
I think the fact that they promoted Brent Spiner from like kind of one scene comedy relief to yeah. arguably like the action hero of the movie yep. is pretty amazing. <laughs> well, they, they couldn't they couldn't do it for Harvey Firestein because they killed him off in the first one. <laughs> I mean, he um uh but the funny thing is that Brent Spiner in my memory, had died in the first one. No, so he when they just announced, is in a coma. He's just he's in, in a coma. coma. So, when they, so when they announced that he was coming back, I was kind of like, okay, like, this is already ridiculous. And it is ridiculous. But man, like, he's having the time of his life <laughs> in, in, in his role as, like, the mad doctor who has gone even madder from being, you know, essentially Rip Van Winkle for 20 years. Everybody in this movie seems to be having the time of their life. I mean, I don't even know how to even describe the plot to this other than it's like 20 years after the, you know, the events of the original film, everybody's doing great. Peace exists amongst the world because of the alien technology. And, yeah. um, and they come back. <laughs> the first, this, this is when I knew I was like genuinely liking the movie is the first 25 minutes or so is what I would kind of describe as like like accidental starship troopers where it's like it just feels very like rah-rah and you know look how high tech we are and super militaristic and like not satiric the way starship troopers is but but yeah. still like kind of off-putting is just like everyone seems to be in the military and the world seems to be run by this whole as you said they've all been super powered by alien technology but, but, but like the message in the first act is like this world is like really not the world you live in anymore. People watching this, this is the post-independence day world. It's high tech and everything. And then within about six minutes, everything about that world gets destroyed. <laughs> like yep. every, every defense, every space thing they have set up, it all gets destroyed because the core idea of this movie is if you thought the last ship, which was the size of a city, was was cool, our new idea is it's a ship the size of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a third the size of the moon. <laughs> and, and I mean, I will say there is something ridiculous about how big the ship is. Like, it, it's like like jesus christ like it was they didn't even they could have made it just a little bit bigger but no they needed to make it as big as a fucking planet it's like the fucking death star uh, bigger maybe exactly. exactly and i mean in a way again like this is not a well-written movie despite having like five credited screenwriters like the missed chance to me is like when that ship lands it should almost be kind of like you know sort of shadow of the colossus like like you you should see the ship in every shot in the background like yeah like this is now a part of the world that is basically a mega mountain and you know for the most part from there it's like we're in corridors we're in area 51 we're in other places we're in a ship but like i mean that that, that big action set piece of its arrival when it essentially like seems to pick up half of the world and then drop it down on the other half of the world. That that's, that's good Roland Emmerich stuff, but also like, you know, again, to me, it's pure chaos cinema. Like you're literally just seeing buildings from over here get dropped over here. I, I, I like all that stuff that that really does it for me with just that level of pure CGI craziness. <laughs> well, you know, what does it for me is, 
is 80-year-old Judd Hirsch outrunning the biggest tidal wave ever, surviving and just being found on his boat, like unconscious in his seat. Like, what? Because, because again, and this is where it's- Let's just, be clear. You know, Half of this movie is like Richard Pryor's busting loose. It's a road trip movie with Judd Hirsch and a bunch <laughs> of kids. Which- which, again, I've been trying to know from you, just because you're someone who likes the first one, as, in fairness, most people seem to. Like, the first one did kind of have that sort of, you know, disaster movie, we're following all these different people, quality to it. And, you know, there was like Randy Quaid's family and everything. But that all kind of felt of a piece. Here, as you said, it's like, you know, we're sort of with, like, these ultramarine jet pilots, you know, Liam Hemsworth, Jesse Usher are literally flying, you know, fighter jets from the moon to earth and back. And then, yeah, a huge subplot is Judd Hirsch and the school bus. <laughs> Judd Hirsch and the school bus. And like, and, you know, and let's not forget the Jeff Goldblum of it all. Like the, a lot, a lot of the original cast returns, Jeff Goldblum returns, uh, Bill Pullman returns. I think Bill per Pullman's really good in this. I think he does a really good job. But then He's also great. very briefly, there is a barely alive Robert Loja returning his, he's barely conscious. I mean, th that's, that's the stuff that, you know, to me, in most legacy type sequels, I would just be kind of annoyed with, like, you know, not, you know, respect to the late Robert Loja, but it's just like, why are you just kind of bringing out random people from the old movie who seem to not even really be able to act anymore? He passed so soon after filming his part. But like, let's talk about how this is the like, like sexy Jeff Goldblum action picture that yeah. like, I know people kind of think that that's what Jurassic Park or the original one were, but like, he's just like, he's like wearing his like, you know, jet suit the whole time. He's got a great romance sort of thing going on with Charlotte, Charlotte Gainsborough. Gainsborough. Yeah. With Charlotte Gainsborough. Like that's, this, this is all like, I don't know. I, I guess to me, as much as like, yes, the visuals can be kind of slapdash at times. Like it just feels like all the actors are having a little more fun with this material than you'd expect from, from, oh, yeah. from a movie like this. And, and not to mention that they decide, you know what this movie needs? African warlords in space. Wow. I mean, that actor, I, I had to um, look him up and I'm going to obviously mispronounce his name, but he's so great in the movie. It's a Diobia Operai. Yeah, he as like, Dikembe Umbutu rather than he, Dikembe Mutombo. He is great. He also has a line reading that like, to me, just takes the movie into the realm of like, people talk a lot about like camp these days. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of things that are called camp are not actually camp, but him saying, and then I think later repeating because his whole thing is that he's killed lots of these aliens. You know, another kind of unexplored thing is that these aliens are just kind of, you know, he's, he, he's killed a lot of them with like swords essentially. And someone's like, you know, how do, how do you kill these guys? Like, they seem like, you know, how do you kill them? Yeah. And he says so dramatically, you have to take them from behind. Yeah, <laughs> which he which he shows you how to do later on. Just, and it is just like, you know, it's a great, re it's a great line. It's, it's funny in some ways. He really sells it. Like, I think that's the thing I appreciate is like, you know, you have the kind of straightforward actiony stuff happening and there's just these little embroiders that are put on everything that I that, that I really treasure. I really appreciated um before Cela Ward who plays the president in this film before that whole group of people meets their end 
I, I do like the, uh, the, the throwback to the original film of There Will Be No Peace. I thought that was a nice little way to do that and to make that happen. Yeah. That was yeah. really cool. I will say, so we get some new actors here. Like we said, you get Charlotte Gainsbourg, who is really just exists to be like on Jeff Goldblum's tail the whole time. Um, William Fickner, who basically takes over the Robert Loja role as sort of yeah. the, the general. And then you get Micah Monroe as uh, Bill Pullman's daughter. And yeah, I've got, I got my feelings about her as an actress. I don't know that she's got much it's, there there. It's a bummer to me that this seems to have been her sort of like final stop for a while, at least in the zeitgeist, because she was coming to this right off of like It Follows and The Guest, which yeah. I love. And I think she's great in those. She, she seemed she somehow seemed to suffer the brunt of this movie's failure, which seems unfair. I mean, there's there's plenty of other people in the movie who well, are like <laughs> talk about unfair. Can we talk for a second about how like mean spirited and like they are to Vivica A. Fox in this film. Like she's in this movie for one scene and then they just fucking kill her. Like and with no is, fanfare, it's just like, whoop, she fell. This is this is where I, I sort of fall back on the, the, the barely coherent versus disappointingly competent thing because like there's an obvious simple way to present the death of a character who, she was amazing in the original one, I would say like certainly you're bringing back a beloved part of this world. And there's a way to just do it that's like bad, but straightforward. Like, you know, she's falling off a helicopter. Maybe we get a close up of her, you know. Yeah. Billy Ray, throughout cinema history, when dramatic things happen, you often get a close up on the actor who is playing that thing happening. In this one, I'm pretty sure that it's literally like an extreme long shot. It is. You barely <laughs> even see a person there. <laughs> All you, and then it just cuts to Jesse Usher's reaction, like, no. Jesse Usher, who, who's playing her son, but like, you know, it's just, there's just no, that's the stuff where you're just like, like, it is kind of offensive in a way, but like it gives that part of the movie just such a raucous energy. You just don't know who's going to be, who, you know, who's going to go down next. Um, I mean, <laughs> you, you, so we haven't talked yet about the fact that I think this is Liam Hemsworth's best performance. I was about to, we literally, I was literally about to say the exact same thing. It is a hundred percent Liam Hemsworth's best performance. He's having I mean, fun. He's, he's having fun. He's, he's a guy who has generally been cast as like a meat chunk. And like when he's been called upon to do more than that, it has not gone well. Like, I think he makes... Chris Hemsworth looked like Marlon Brando, but like he spends a lot of the movie just in the sort of, you know, in the kind of proverbial, you know, X-wing shot. Like he's, you know, in the jet, he's in the cockpit, like saying, you know, kind of cool guy action thing. Well, what he's doing is he's channeling Bill Pullman from Spaceballs. And he's just like having, like, like as horrible things are happening, again, as like half the world seems to be destroyed, He's just kind of, he's kind of floating along. He has a great, <laughs> I think this is the best part of the movie. Certainly it's the part that made me realize, like, I would always kind of cherish this film in a weird way. So after him, he's been flying his, like, space jet through the wreckage of one place getting thrown on another place. Like, literally in the last five minutes, he's survived, like, a moon mountain almost falling on him, like, <laughs> being carried through space by a mega ship. And then, you know, surviving the total collapse of London. 
he turns to Jeff Goldblum and says, "Do you pee your pants?" And Jeff Goldblum just says, "Like, yeah, a little, yeah." <laughs> which, which is already kind of funny. Yeah, that's a Jeff Goldblum moment. And then Liam Hemsworth just keeps smiling and says, "Yeah, me too." <laughs> and and let's let's also, you know, you mentioned Brent Spiner earlier, who is back, and you know. This is one of the through lines between Roland Emmerich's films. There are a couple through lines that I've been noticing as I've been doing this rewatch. One is being like the evolution of his embracing of his queerness in film. Yes. Um, which, you know, in his earlier stuff, he probably didn't, wasn't at liberty to do because it was a different time. And, and, and as his filmography has sort of moved along, he seems to have opened up more. And in this film, we get a full on, gay relationship between Brent Spiner and I can't remember the character's name who plays uh, his uh, husband or not husband partner I guess I'm not really sure how they I believe who was that. another character who was in the original if I recall oh it was he wasn't oh yeah they were they were peas in a pod in the first one too but they it was always guessed that they were a couple but they yeah. it wasn't acknowledged and then of course in the second one he just full-on went like oh yeah they're queer it's like, and and they have a really nice, like, you know, it's 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 one of those relationships where I know, like, you know, this was kind of right around the same time as the the infamous, you know, Sulu in Star Trek Beyond, like, you know, sort of very affectionate hug version of homosexuality. And I know that when the film came out, I think there were some people, I mean, nobody really cared about resurgence, but when it came out, I think some people were kind of like, oh, like, you know, did they kind of downplay it a little bit? And to me, it's, to me, it's kind of a cute little moments that they yeah. have together. Like, you know, when, when they're sort of like, you know, uh, at a very dramatic moment, his partner kind of tells him a really funny little thing. I, I don't know. I, I, that's the stuff where I just, again, expecting such a just bland gunmetal kind of sequel like this is definitely not that like yeah the the the, the character stuff goes a lot goes much further than, than you might expect yeah no the the way i describe this is i and i don't know if you've seen this film but this is like house Two: the second story where it is just batshit wild and it barely makes any sense and but it's so much fun and you can't stop watching it because it's so ridiculous like it yeah. is a straight up popcorn silly ass popcorn movie but is is do we want anything more from Roland Emmerich I don't know that we do uh, yeah I mean it's, it's not I mean to me one interesting thing about exploring his filmography that I'm sure you'll find is like you do have this question of like you know what exactly do you want from Roland Emmerich I think a lot of people have this kind of hazy feeling of his earlier films and feel like in some ways, like, has he gotten sillier or lazier or something? I'm not, I'm not always sure that's the case, but it does seem like... Go back you know, and watch Universal Soldier and tell me that that's not a silly-ass movie. I, I mean, I mean, like, it, it does seem like with him certainly past, like, Day After Tomorrow, like, what you're looking for is, like, excess with these strange notes of personality mixed with you know the kind of indifferent almost propaganda of like, you know you know like like random american flags waving the background like that it doesn't always work and sometimes it aggressively doesn't work but you know to me i mean something like white house down which i think a lot of people would probably say is one of their favorite later emmerich movies like to me that's one where i'm just kind of like yeah like it's it's fine you know i feel like you know, a lot of other action directors could have made that and done better or worse with it. Like, 
this, even the parts that feel like he was barely involved in it are the parts that were just kind of like, we're, we'll build it all on green screen. There's just, there's, there's quirks along the way that really make it pop, I think. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I think, I think we can definitely say this one, this one pops, as you say. Um, I, I mean, like, it definitely made me want a third one. Like, cause, cause do you think, do you think like, I mean, again, I, with any sequel past like 2010, I'm always like, okay, like, what's the J.J. Abrams version of this? Like, what's what's the version of the sequel where someone comes in and is just like, here are the 10 things everyone loved about the original and we'll just kind of do more of that. But the idea that like a movie called Independence Day ends with like a big giant like monster thing, like running across a desert. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it, it's so not like, what you would expect from a movie like this that imagine if out to me. imagine if, a, if, a, if an alien sequel had a 20 story tall xenomorph yes. running like it's insane and that's pretty much what we get here that's pretty yeah. much exactly what this is is this enormous yeah. fucking alien just traipsing across the desert chasing after it's jet hirsch gigantic chasing after jet hirsch and uh jeff goldblum and a school bus full of kids all to get a giant like orb, which is yep. you know, which is prescient, or well, or is yeah, <laughs> yeah that of... orb ha- is is not alive, but it's recorded and it's the so memory let's... of a future civilization of a previous civilization. Let's dig into this. Let's dig into this. Yeah, Billy Ray, I've waited orb. years to talk orb. to someone about the canonical questions uh, brought forward in Independence Day Resurgence. The, the implication, I believe, is that, you know, this is not the story of humanity versus these aliens. These aliens are like the galactic reavers or whatever, and other species who we've not met are also out there and have been, you know, disrupted by them and have been like fought by them. So you're kind of like, well, the, the the next movie would actually be like this crazy galactic get together of humans yeah. and a lot of other aliens versus these guys. Like that sounds pretty cool to me. And it would be called Independence Day Retaliation. <laughs> perfect. Like it's perfect. <laughs> and you know, and despite what people say about this movie being a bomb, I mean, I hear that so much. It still made like $400 million. It's not like it made nothing. I guess when you're comparing it against like the Avengers or something like that, then it seems like- well, this, this This seems to be the issue is, yeah, like, you know, by the time it came out, you know, it, it was possible to delude yourself. I, I, I think in a way the, the control factor might've actually been something like Jurassic World where you're just like, when that happens, and that movie sucks, when oh. that happens, you're kind of like, okay, like, any sequel to a 90s thing or any franchise thing might make like 1.5 billion dollars so once you start thinking in those numbers you know everything anything everything kind of becomes a disappointment mind you this movie seems to have cost a lot of money and that is not always clear on screen like like there's definitely not the same like you know i think like your your clay kellers of the world who would hope for like you know lots of good model work and stuff like that which i also hope for too like that is not very much in evidence at all <laughs> like there's, there's, no, it's a, all most of that money went to mediocre cgi yeah 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 i mean like the the queen in the finale is you know i, I would say maybe playstation 2 level like and that's that's pushing it and that's you know 10 years after the playstation 2 was in, in, in common use <laughs> um yeah i mean and what's funny is i just watched moonfall when I, I watched it opening weekend when it came out 
And there's a lot of similarities between some stuff in Moonfall and some stuff in this. It felt like maybe he was even going back to some of the same wells for Moonfall, um, but without enough of that level of goofiness and cheese, mm-hmm. um, which I think is where Moonfall falters. It's, it's a lot of what you love about Roland Emmerich, but without the spirit. I feel like is it is is it more like serious? Yeah, or? I mean, I mean, as serious as you can be about a movie about the you know about the the aliens controlling the moon and sending it towards Earth, like as serious as it can be. But yeah, it's a little too serious. I mean, the best part of Moonfall is John Bradley by far, like is the best right. part of that movie. Yeah, based on just the trailer, it feels to me like by comparison, everyone is kind of doing a John Bradley in Independence Day resurgence. Like, like I mean, maybe not so much. I, I feel like like Jesse Usher is not super well served. I think he's maybe probably like yeah. the like having him and Liam Hemsworth both playing somewhat bland heroes, but giving Hemsworth just more fun stuff to do. I, I, I there's there's definitely like extraneous characters, but yeah, then you have the the sort of the Brent Spiner love story. You've got the warlord kind of slowly becoming friends with an accountant. Maybe I'm I'm forgetting who the John Oliver it's, look like it's is. the it's the no. account or accountant or like something like yeah. <laughs> it's some character who has no business being anywhere that he is. Like you're like, why are you here? He's like constantly trying to like wrangle Jeff Goldblum, and you're like, what? What did he forget to pay his taxes? <laughs> That'd be amazing. That'd be that'd be that would definitely be a great Roland Emmerich like Z plot is someone just hounding someone else for for their for their back taxes in the midst of a global calamity. Again, like I just think like Goldblum looks awesome. Yeah, he looks great. He's great in this. I mean, like I mean, no, I mean everybody's doing what they can with this. Like I said, Bill Pullman is doing a really great job here, reprising his role as the president. He gets another one of those tarmac speeches, but is mm-hmm. not nearly as memorable as the one from the original film. Not even close. I will say, uh, well, we're spoiling everything, obviously. Like, he has a, like, tragic sacrifice moment in the movie, which, again, to me, this is just sort of the strange magic of a movie that is slapped together like this. It's immediately made clear that his sacrifice meant nothing (laughs) because, and I I double-checked on this, a line that was clearly ADR, um, when, when the queen emerges from the wreckage of the ship and you hear Jeff Goldblum say, oh my God, she has her own shield. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, we, we had yep. to explain how she survived the, the collapse of her, her spaceship. <laughs> you know, I, I will say though, I felt a little tug at the heartstring when President Whitmore met his end. Um, even though there is a really cool scene where basically the alien uses him as a puppet um, kind of like what that yeah. happened in the first film, but they use Bill. Bill Pullman lets it use him as a puppet to kind of communicate. That's that's the scene where I will say, having now said I really enjoy this movie, that's kind of the scene where you're like, oh, this could have been like really good. Like that's that's kind of unsettling, and that's a good use of a returning character. I don't know. I, I think that's that's where you're kind of like, okay, if Emmerich could kind of zero in a little bit more and paint with some specific colors instead of just throwing it all together into a uh, Booyah Bays, then uh, yeah, that might be, that that would have been interesting. But again, I, I, I'm surprised this is leaving, I'm surprised this, this one's going to the incinerator before some other ones. Well, there, there's some more obvious bad ones to me. I'm not crazy surprised. I expected when I first started doing this, I was like, I expected this to go 
in the top three. So it is going right on the end of that only because I know how much people hated this movie when it came out. And I yeah. still hear nothing but awful things about it, but I'm like, you should rewatch it. Cause I feel yeah. like people watched it that first time with all these expectations. Yeah. And like, now that we've had about five or six years removed from it, I think you can watch it and just really appreciate it for how like fun, stupid it is. Yeah. And, and again, like it definitely like, you know, I think the frustrating thing for a lot of people is probably that like there are some extended scenes where you're like, okay, this is bad CGI, like, you know, but, but, but to me, it moves so briskly and is just having a lot of fun with the characters along the way. And to me, I just, I think like compared to some of his other, you know, his kind of mid period disaster stuff to me just feels a little bit more, not to say like, boring because there's always crazy stuff happening but there's there's not quite the same like jauntiness to it that this one fully has i mean again i, I just think like you know goldblum has given good performances but there is this kind of larger meme of jeff goldblum that i think weirdly you know doesn't always come across in movies we'll see about the next jurassic park certainly his appearance in the most recent jurassic world was kind of like i don't even know why you cast this guy i don't even know why you brought him back this is not the kind of vibe we want like this is kind of if you wanted the full gold bloom in a blockbuster yeah. type picture like you're you're very much getting it in this and movie. he is the lead of this film i mean he is definitely the lead of this film i mean you could say it's an ensemble but he certainly has more screen time than anybody else so you can definitely get your gold bloom fix here and he's in top form like this is what you want from jeff Goldblum across the board like yeah. this is what you want from him do you think because will smith turned it down like he kind of felt like well i have to i have to bring all that energy to the movie too like i need to do the the, the kind of nerdy stuff i was doing in the first one and also be a little yeah. more like in that kind of will smith line of <laughs> line know, of thinking i'll be fair like will smith's great in the first film i didn't miss him I didn't miss Will Smith. Like I thought, I thought they did a good enough job of like expanding Jeff Goldblum and Bill Pullman's roles. And like, I, I didn't miss Will Smith, honestly. Like I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, I mean, obviously if Will Smith had been here, his son probably wouldn't have been um, the yeah, Jesse Usher, or maybe he would have been, and it would have been some convoluted plot about him trying to save him. It's, it's, it's hard to tell this go round. I was trying to kind of pick out, okay, like, well, what was the rewrite here or something like that? I do believe it said that the Captain Hiller character was like lost in space or something to which he died. Like, okay, he died you're, you're, a... you're, you're holding on to the possibility. You're holding on to that possibility for, for, for Independence Day retaliation. Like, oh, wait, no, no, no. They say that he dies in a simulation flight. <laughs> Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, they say that he dies in a simulation flight. Okay, I thought he was, like, trying out some new technology or something like that. Uh, this this shows, even having seen the movie a couple times, I, I don't have the firmest grasp of what the I mean, larger plot elements are. And in fairness, I don't think a lot of the writers did either. <laughs> well, I think the one, the one loss that I think we all feel the same is the loss of Randy Quaid in this film. Um, not only the loss of Randy Quaid in this film, but the loss of Randy Quaid to reason and sanity. Um, which has happened over the last decade or so because um, he was my favorite character in the first film because um, he literally is going balls to the wall to turn it to 11 with the crazy and I I would have loved to have had that here or at least had like I also kept waiting for like are one of these characters going to be Randy Quaid's sons from this the first is, film this is what I was surprised about is like having brought back everyone because his son I'm trying to look this up now his son was played by somebody who 
was like in quite a few movies at the time. I, I see I'm his face, remember... but I can't remember his name. Yeah, so it was it, it, it was James Duvall who was a big. That's um, him. Yeah. He, he was a big like Greg Araki uh, yeah. actor, uh, which are you know amazing movies in their own right. Who also had a key role in uh, Donnie Darko. Um, not sure what he's up to now, but would have been would have been nice for him to kind of make a return yeah. trip. Like well, yeah, maybe bring some first, of that energy. At first, you know, there's the character Liam Hemsworth's like best friend, who I actually yeah. like that actor a lot, Travis Tope, who's been in some really cool films. I, for a while there, I was like, oh, is he going to be Randy Quaid's son or something like that? But like, because that would have been a great way to insert that, just make him like the son or something, his younger son. Because he has like two sons and one's younger. Um, but they didn't go that route. They, they, they deprived us of all of Randy Quaid's lineage was wiped out from this sequel. Is that, is that Travis guy? Is that the guy who was in American Vandal at one point? Yes, he is yeah. an American Vandal. He was on Boardwalk Empire for a little while. Yes, of course he was in Boardwalk Empire. He had a key role there. He's yeah. he's a great he's a great like character actor because yeah. he almost looks like a sort of he almost has that kind of handsome random guy quality, but there's something off in those eyes. Yeah, and yeah. Boardwalk Empire used that very, very well. American Vandal used that very, very well. Yeah, he's 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 a good again. We're talking about like the thirteenth most important character in this movie, and he's yeah. he's bringing some fun stuff to it. Maybe thirteenth. That's being generous. <laughs> you're, you're yeah. Don't don't forget. I mean, I would say Celia Ward is the thirteenth. No. Um. Well. <laughs> Unfortunately, as much as we enjoyed Independence Day Resurgence, it's destroyed, Darren. It's gone. It's, it's incinerated gone forever. forever. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, it's all gone. I think, um, I think I'm sad about that. I think I'm sad about that. Uh, but um, I guess the, the incinerator is feeding on Roland Emmerich films right now is this is this the same incinerator as the main feed or do you have another smaller incinerator no for, it's the, the incinerator is hungry so this is the same incinerator the incinerator <laughs> need, needs constant feeding every week and since the main feed podcast is every other week we have to keep it nourished uh, because if we don't it gets angry and then it just starts eating all the films and we don't want that god knows if we don't feed it it goes crazy um well this is the part where now i ask you of the five films that we that are up for elimination next week, you choose which one you think should be cut and thrown into the incinerator, and your vote has added weight to it. So oh, wow. your choices are 10,000 BC, White House Down, Midway, Moonfall, and recently added Anonymous. This is tough because... I have a weird fascination with, I like to call them Roland Emmerich's history plays when he's, yep. when he's doing history, uh, his, his, his specific way. So I don't want to touch Midway or Anonymous or even really 10,000 BC, which is history after all. I wouldn't call it like, you know, it's not, not the history you learned about in, 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 in your hippie books, Billy Ray, but. And not anything um, like I was, what's so weird and so frustrating to me is like the films of Roland Emmerich's, which I had never seen before, which the ones that I watched for this have kind of become my favorites. And I know they're, and I know they're going to get cut early on. This is what I'm saying. You were coming over to my wavelength and I'm happy about that. Um, I'll just, 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 this is, this is a gut one. I obviously haven't seen Moonfall and, and maybe, maybe that'll be the next to go. Uh, I'll just say 
throw in White House Down. I know that's a favorite. It's a fine film, but I just, with, with Emmerich, I'm not looking for fine. I, I'm looking for like, like I, I'd prefer offensive to fine most, most of the time. I'll be honest. The thing that gets me about White House Down and I rewatched it recently is, and, and the reason it suffered is because it came out at the exact same time as Olympus has fallen. Right. Olympus has fallen feels like a Roland Emmerich movie. Oh, interesting. And that's what's it like. I, I actually really enjoy Olympus has fallen. Cause I think Gerard Butler is just insane as he generally right. is. And, right. but it feels like a Roland Emmerich movie. It has that weird humor. It's like White House Down, I guess, feels like a Roland Emmerich movie, but in a very different way. I just prefer Olympus Has Fallen. It's, yeah, I mean, again, I, you know, I'm intrigued to see what, it, what, what people have to say. To me, White House Down just suffers because it's him very much trying to do a non-Roland Emmerich thing. Like, it's explicitly just die hard in the White House. You know, I, I know there's, stuff along the way that's maybe a little more eccentric than that but it just really pales in comparison well, like and I, don't, also, I don't also jamie fox not for one second seems like the president of the united states i mean i i think there's just like you know there are like you know double acts i would say there are like four double acts in resurgence i prefer to what's supposed to be the kind of central buddy dynamic of of, of that movie so if you're if you're if you're taking away uh you know liam hemsworth and jeff goldblum then then take uh chatting tatum and jamie fox next <laughs> so your vote is for white house down okay that weights that a little bit. Now the, the other folks get to vote and I will tell folks that voting closes at 8 p.m. on February 25th. So that is this Friday. So you have two days to vote for the film that you think should be next incinerated. Again, your choices are 10,000 BC, White House Down, Midway, Moonfall, and Anonymous. You can vote right here in the link of this Patreon post. Also, don't miss uh, episode three of The Incinerator. Uh, which is going to be dropping on March 3rd. Uh, well, actually, it'll drop March 2nd here on Patreon. You get it a day early here. Then it'll drop March 3rd for everybody else. Our buddies Phil Iscove and Kenny Nybart will be incinerating the films of 1999, which Ooh. should be, um, well, I know it's a bloodbath because I just recorded it earlier today. And um, I will, I'm not, of course, I'm not going to reveal who the uh, engineer is, except to say that they were playing for blood. And they extracted it. <laughs> a lot of it. Um, another reminder that uh, we are dropping a new Patreon exclusive series in March called Because of John Hughes, which will be a, a deep dive into John Hughes's filmography, the films that were inspired by it, and the problematic uh, legacy of some of his films. We're going to be uh, discussing films, talking to some people who were involved with his films. We're covering, we're, we're running the gamut on John Hughes. So that's something to hopefully look forward to in March if you're a John Hughes fan like I am. Darren, are you a John Hughes fan? Um, I am. Uh, there's one film in particular that when I was a kid, uh, I loved rewatch constantly, which was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, a film that I, I would actually be nervous to revisit now uh, as a much older person. There's, there's some teen films that I do think are kind of immortal. And I wonder if that one would be difficult to watch as a lame old adult at this point. I would say that to me, it is the most watchable of his films now. Oh, I think it is the least problematic of his films, hmm. frankly. Hmm. Um, wow, if you okay. can overlook the Jeffrey Jones of it all. 
Sure. Well, I mean, I listen as someone who loves Deadwood. I've, 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 there's a whole corner of the brain that is just designed to. <laughs> I know to block it out. <laughs> well, while while watching good stuff, overlook exterior stuff. Um, but yeah, that's I, that's a that's filmography that is was kind of fun to to tackle right now for sure. Um, yeah, because that's I mean, that you think it's the most watchable. I I, I would not have guessed that. Well, most um, watchable, yeah. Just the extent of like, because so many of his other films, they just there are so many problems, and, and like even something like Breakfast Club, which look, and I'm not saying by problems that I don't love these films. Like I love Sixteen Candles. I think Sixteen Candles is a great film. It's got a lot of problems. Like it's got a lot of things that that don't hold up under like yeah. 2022 lens, and yeah. and and I think that's okay. And I think we have to reckon with that. But I don't think it means that we, you know, it, it quote unquote incinerate the film forever and pretend that it doesn't exist. I just think we have to actually reckon with it. See, what's interesting to me is not so much with that movie, but with like, I assume you'll be kind of talking about the the Howard Deutsch uh, duet at some point, yep. right? Yeah. Like when you throw in those movies, especially um, what stands out to me about John Hughes is like Ferris Bueller's Day Off is kind of like the film with the most plot, like, yeah, and maybe 16 Candles, but like for the most part compared to like, I don't know, any strain of teen entertainment today, like these are just kind of films that are very like low concept and very kind of focused on characters. And so I, I guess to me, you know, having, I think maybe the last one of his that I saw was probably some kind of wonderful six or seven years ago. So I'd have to revisit all of them, but I do just feel like there's a slow groove quality to them that I like you know, whatever they're, yeah, like mid eighties, late eighties, you know, what <laughs> wide variety of historical things that have shifted since then. So I'd be, I'd be intrigued to kind of see what the approach is to each of them though, because, you know, he was, he was definitely a filmmaker with a vision, which I think a million teen films that followed were all kind of chasing and not really replicating. Well, yeah. And that's what a lot of it is too, is we're going to talk about a lot of those films that followed and sort of how they sort of wove in their John Hughes influences and sort of, yeah either did or did not repeat the same mistakes that he made. Because a lot of those teen movies, even in the late 90s, which was kind of the, the the boom of teen movies again, they don't really avoid most of those mistakes. Like there's still a lot well, of those issues. And then, well, then, then I get frustrated. Then you get to the era of, that we are still, I think, kind of living in now, which is the era of like, hey, we've made a big like fantasy sci-fi thing, but like we're saying it has a John Hughes spirit to it because there's teenagers involved. And I'm just like, you're missing the point that like a John Hughes movie does not have a lot of plot. Like it, yeah. it, it doesn't, it, there is like, you cannot turn off and on the John Hughes spirit and then have like, you know, Spider-Man or the Stranger Things kids go and fight a big monster. Like that, that is anti what is going on in those. So you know, whatever those things are doing that is different, you know, it's also kind of falling back on these tropes that, you know, again, even though they are teen films, like, you know, yeah, it's funny because even the 90s stuff, which I really grew up on, which I kind of love, those would feel a little more wedged into, you know, these different archetypes that with the Hughes stuff um, didn't really come across as much. But yeah, I'd be, there's certainly, certainly no shortage of things to discuss with the Breakfast Club, though. No, and <laughs> I think what makes me, I think makes, what makes me, has always made me the saddest about John Hughes is that I feel like we were robbed of a potential second act. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like he probably had more in him. I feel like it was probably on the television front, 
more yeah. than, but I think with the resurgence of TV since his passing and everything, I think he could have probably produced a lot of other cool stuff because I think now all we think of when we think of John Hughes, we think about how he kind of ended with a whimper because he ended with like Curly Sue and, and Uncle Buck, which I have a lot of affection for Uncle Buck um, in terms of his directing output. Like I do think there was more left. Um, so it just makes me sad because I've always been a huge John Hughes fan, huge inspiration for me. And especially his uh, sort of partnership with John Candy, which has always been like, yeah, well, you're right. And then, then it's kind of like, you know, he's less time locked. Like, you know, as you say, like, what is he kind of doing as he's advancing as we all are like, and, you know, potentially, um, you know, Ferris Bueller's day off is a movie that is a like well-directed, visually interesting comedy, which is not something that <laughs> past a certain yeah. point in the 90s and 2000s, you, you get a lot of on the feature film front. Well, and so. I would have loved, like, that's a film where I would have loved to have revisited those characters in like 20 years, 25 years. Like, what's Ferris up to? What's Cameron up to? Like, I would have I would have been down for that. I'm obviously not down for it without John Hughes helming it. But you didn't, like you didn't feel that the the Super Bowl commercial a few years ago didn't didn't do it for you. But... <laughs> no, it didn't. Do, it didn't do it for me. It didn't do it for me. I'm I'm at the point where I'm I, I don't know. This is going to be just just a rant. But like any film that gets the like sequel Super Bowl commercial, like Austin Powers, until a few weeks ago, I would have said like you know what I kind of like half of those movies, and now I'm like no, nah, never mind. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm over it. It's, it's done. <laughs> they still hold up okay. <laughs> first one does but austin powers is a conversation for another day we have efficiently and successfully incinerated independence day resurgence uh it's gone i'm sorry everybody you will not get to enjoy um dikembe mutumbo or liam hemsworth or all of the shenanigans that ensue with brent spiner's comatose ass and that 80 foot fucking xenomorph wannabe they're all gone. Um, Darren, thank you so much for joining me to eulogize Independence Day Resurgence. Honored. Honored to be here. Honored to get to talk about this film one last time. And um, as it was announced today, um, or I think it was announced today, I, I assume you saw the vote tabulations. Uh, for Resurgence? No, for your episode. Oh boy. Well, uh, I, I, I would hope, I would hope I know how it turned out, but are you going to, um, how do you, you think, tell it, how do you think it turned out? Uh, I think, I think it was a win for Drea. That's the, that was my thing. Maybe a win for, for, for Ryan. It was a, well, two people win. Okay. And it was Drea and Ryan. Yeah, there we go. That, that, that's not. Drea and Ryan took it, but all that means now is that you'll come back as an engineer. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to reappear at some point. Yes. And um, but uh, listen, that was that was a great that was a great uh, incinerator session. It was a really good discussion about a lot of noir films. To me, turned out like pretty well, uh, considering how crazily the number one film took a journey to getting to 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 not number one took a journey to becoming the only noir film left alive. So yeah, I, let's I think be clear: it was the only one left alive. alive. Uh, now that we now that we have changed the rules a little bit on the incinerator, it's not quite as dire for all of the picks, but it's still it's still pretty tricky. Um, yeah, well, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Darren, for popping on to chat again. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, uh, stick around. Uh, we'll have more stuff dropping soon. Uh, hey, go with Christ. <laughs>